Welcome to the Finclusive Podcast, where we believe investing in diversity is not just good for society, but a competitive advantage that impact and return are not mutually exclusive. We talk with underestimated founders and funders on how they're creating new markets around the world. Okay, great. Thank you, Gary, for being here today. Um, so just to introduce us, we're a part of Finclusive Ventures, um, which is a new VC firm started by Ali and Kelly, who's here today. And Finclusive invests in early stage startups globally, focusing on diverse immigrant and female founders. Kelly and Ali are currently raising um, our first fund. And so really excited to speak with you today, Gary. Gary is the CEO of Reaply. Reaply is a climate tech company based in Chicago. Um, their technology enables organizations to achieve full utilization of their physical assets, thereby reducing costs and waste by keeping valuable resources in circulation. Gary recently started Long Jump Ventures with five other leaders in the industry in Chicago. And Long Jump is a Chicago-based first check founder-led fund designed to invest in the next generation of founders. And we just wanted to have a conversation with you today about your fundraising journey and, you know, if you have any advice for us as we've seen how difficult it is to fundraise. <laughs> um, yeah, just to start us off, um, can you describe a little bit of your fundraising journey for Ripley as a founder? Um, and, you know, I understand there was a lot of lessons learned there. And so if you could start off with that. Sure. Well, first, thanks for inviting me. This is uh, an issue that as a founder, um, you always think about fundraising, um, both the how, but also from the who, you know, who are you working with? For me at Reaply, our fundraising journey is, you know, unfortunately pretty typical uh, until last year of most founders who, who come from diverse backgrounds or diverse communities. So um, in short, I launched Reaply November 1, 2016 with uh, two other co-founders. And until March of 2020, so March of last year, we, we'd raised a little south of a million dollars, um, maybe something like around $960,000 over that four-year period, almost four-year period of time. And we raised that in about four or five, I can't remember now, maybe five separate convertible note rounds. So there were officially five rounds within that kind of less than million dollar raise. And quite frankly, we use both that money, but mostly just the revenue that we were making our so-called receivables to really fund the, the, the business operation. So it really wasn't investors underwriting the business at, at that time. It was some supportive stuff at the beginning of our journey, but really from, you know, the 19, 18 and 2019, we're really working off of receivables. Um, and then I was able to pull together in February, 2020, um, right before the world changed for everybody, uh, a seed round um, that was uh, one point uh, of new money, a $1.6 million seed round. And um, that, you know, was fantastic. I mean, it was a big day at Reap because again, I had now just raised in one round what we had raised for three and a half, almost four years in total. Um, so it was really the first time that we ever got to start to operate on my vision for the company as opposed to just doing things to kind of keep the company alive. 
And then the next month, COVID happened. Um, so then, you know, that changed things a little bit for us in some other dynamic ways. Nevertheless, uh, February of this year, of 2021, I was able to close a Series A um, financing, uh, $8 million financing. Um, so, you know, our journey has been kind of very flat in my mind and then pretty traditional, um, since, uh, since early year last year. Thank you, Gary. Um, Kelly, do you want to share a little bit about the fund and your experience so far? Yeah, I think, um, but, but what you were talking about was Ripley, was mm-hmm. your company. I actually mm-hmm. want to hear about your fund. Gary. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, I'm happy to talk. The fundraise for the fund? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah How so long did the, that take? And then, like, why did it, why did you start it? Yeah. So, that, um, so we started fundraising for the fund. So, we first had to uh, formally launch the fund, um, which was, which is more of an idea for a long time. Um, but we were able to formalize the GP doc, you know, formalize the whole fund. I would say late summer last year, um, there was an accelerant because definitely because of George Floyd and the, the issues around his, his, his unfortunate death that I think one focused our minds, um, as kind of the people who were trying to put it together, but also focus the minds of the people who we need to negotiate our GP documents with. Um, but yeah, we did that. And then I think we started the fundraise right after that. And we were able to close. So we had set a goal of a million dollars of commitments. And we were able to get to a million dollars of commitments by December of last year. So this is also during my Series A raise, which is quite interesting to be raising a fund and and for my company at the same time. But um, and then uh, I'm not exactly sure the month by month, but basically by um, March, where we were going to announce the fund, we had already uh, had about over four million dollars in commitments. So it was you know quite the the uptick. The how was so the LP base that that um, that Long Jump enjoys is really made up of founders and operators. Um, there are some in professional investors, but generally they are active founders, people who are senior executives and companies who want us to invest from a founder perspective and not necessarily from a professional VC perspective. And so it has a network effect built into it. So once you know, we had closed the initial set of, of commitments from founders. They just told their friends, you know, and they told their friends um, in the founder community in Chicago. Um, and, and we were lucky to, to be able to, to get, a, you know, a good solid base of funding, w- well more than we ever thought we would ever raise or could raise. What, what made you want to, because um, you said it was an idea for a while. Mm-hmm. What made you want to um, press the button or? Yeah, so I think you know, and not to overwork it, but for sure, if George Floyd murder doesn't happen, I'm not even sure that I would, at least I would not be involved probably with Long Jump. I think that that, at least for me as a Black man, I kept thinking, what more can I do? 
what spaces in the world do I occupy? Occupy, what voice do I have to bring to those spaces? And so one of the obvious ones was, you know, in tech. And um, I kept thinking about my journey, right? How I talked about, you know, four years, you know, really trying to just like close five 10K checks from angel investors because I had no network in this space because people didn't believe in me. And I had, you know, you know, a whole bundle of degrees and advanced degrees and lots of accomplishments. And, and if I couldn't get there, easily or with normal friction, how could a 55-year-old Black mother who's thinking about starting a, a company in Chicago get there? How could a six-year-old Hispanic father in Chicago who's a drywaller, who's thinking about starting a company around drywalling, how could he get there? And so really it was, my why was, what can I do even incrementally to improve the, the world that I operated in for black and brown and and uh, and underserved communities, and so that's kind of why I jumped into long jump. So, so what um, companies do you guys look for in long jump? Yeah, so our thesis is actually quite broad. So there, there are kind of really two like constraints, if you will. So the first one is we're looking for companies that are in Chicago or Chicago land. We think Chicago has a very big opportunity, especially with the the migration of tech talent all around, not just you know located in the natural hubs, to really be the best place any company, oh, sorry, any founder can start a company, whether they're black, white, LGBTQA, woman, whatever. So we want to align ourselves with a lot of the movement in Chicago to that. The other is um, we like the companies to be tech or tech enabled. That doesn't mean they have to be tech today. They could be a, a service company. We have to have some sense that there is a plan to scale the company through some level of technology or innovation. Um, but outside of that, those are kind of our the things that we would say formally. Now, like more specifically from like a, a persona type, we're looking for uh, we're looking for companies that are led by you know badass founders who who have never really gotten an investment, right? And so these are folks who are, who've been operating, maybe they're still at the ideal, ideal stage, maybe at the pre-product stage, pre-revenue stage, or maybe they have revenue. And for some reason, they can't attract kind of traditional VC dollars from, from Chicago or, or Midwestern VCs. So those are the companies that we want to invest in. We want to invest in the under... Um, the underfunded, the unconnected, um, the mothers, the fathers, you know, the people who are just busting their ass trying to, to move their company forward and need 50K or 100K to take it to the next level and a network to help them take it to the next level. So those are some of the companies that we're looking for. And how are they mostly getting in touch with you just, you know, if they don't have an existing connection to you or to Long John? Yeah, that's one of the kind of um, main things that we thought about prior to our launch, because there's a lot of soft ways that the structure and system of the tech ecosystem slash VC ecosystem can be non-inclusive. One of them is quote unquote, needing a warm intro. It it presumes you know someone, or it presumes that 
um, so the person who you know knows this other person well enough to broker it. So there's a lot of assumptions built in for people who are not even in that ecosystem. So with Long Jump, what we wanted to do is say, hey, everyone's investment is evaluated at the same base level. So at Long Jump, you literally just apply. There's an application on our website. It takes probably about 10 or 15 minutes at best to fill out for any founder. Um, and that starts your application. So if a LP in our fund or just a friend of mine were to refer a company to Long Jump, they, can, they definitely could email me at gary at longjump.vc. But all I would do was to tell the company to apply, right? So every single company applies and they're, application is weighted by the, the things that are, that are in that document. Um, we might use the references as a way to say, someone knows this founder, but the company itself and the deal is, is evaluating the application. The way to get in front of us is quite frankly, just email us. So you can email all the partners at hello at longjump.vc. You can email me at gary, G-A-R-R-Y at longjump.vc. Um, but also we do pretty frequent clubhouses, Twitter groups, Zoom sessions. We all have office hours every single week that any founder can book time. Um, it's on our website to book time with us. So you can just book time and chat with us about your company um, or about the application process or about the application itself. So there, we, we try to be as, I mean, we're all running companies right now, but we try to be as open with our time and access to us as we possibly can. So I talk to founders literally every single day in some way. How do you um, separate your time between the two companies? I have a, an amazing assistant and I use Google Calendar very strictly. Uh, so I, so, so, so tactically I have, you know, humans and machine working, working with me. But I think more theoretically is that I have just days. So for instance, on Sundays, I generally am working on long jump stuff, whether that's talking to founders, typically my office hours are on Sundays. We typically also have a quote unquote staffing meeting on Sundays. Um, and, then, um, and then the week I almost exclusively think about Reefly, about my company. Um, unless there's some interview or, I mean, it, it, it's a, it's an unlikelihood that I'm thinking about long jump outside of, you know, just talking about it or writing about it. Um, and then, um, and then Saturdays, I try to do nothing. <laughs> I most time don't succeed at that, but I try. <laughs> when you have two companies like this, it's like, which one do you feel like you have more passion for? Mm. And which one keeps you up at night more? And what are you thinking more about? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, that's a great question. I think that 100%, I would say Reaply. I mean, Reaply is, let me just break up. So my kind of like ethos of what I want to do in the world is I want to make the workplace more sustainable and diverse. So these two things work towards that one sentence. Reaply, um, I am, I, I have, so much love and passion for it, but there's a sense of soul responsibility, right? So I'm the singular CEO at Reaply. I am the co-founder. I am one of the directors on the board. Um, and I manned an army of awesome people to tune about 38, who have 38 different families. So, you know, at Long Jump, I am one sixth 
of an awesome team of folks that just got started a couple months ago. So the the net weight of my responsibility at Reaply is much heavier than it is at Long Jump, just from a responsibilities um, perspective. But beyond that, um, Reaply, in my mind, has the ability to be an IPO billion-dollar company that can help reduce waste in the workplace and do some awesome things. Long Jump is a small fund that has a fun life and has a upward limit of how much we can spend. Right. So there's there's some constraints that um, that are built into how this fund works that only allows me to have X amount of impact. But also, too, I'm I'm also taking on both the roles um, and the kind of uh, responsibilities of one sixth of what I would need to do. I could never do long jump the way that I'm currently doing Reaply, right? I could not just be the single GP. There's no way I could ever do that. So uh, Reaply is my is my baby. And, you know, um, long jump is a baby I share with six, five other awesome parents. <laughs> That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, and I wanted to jump in here. I, I've been mostly quiet. Um, great to meet you, Carrie. And I've Really enjoyed your podcast with uh, on my climate journey. I've been okay. in the sustainability space for quite some time now, so it's great to hear your take on it and how you um, went from neuroscience into climate and sustainability. Just phenomenal story. I'm I'm really curious. So we're touching on Reaply, which is where I'm excited to talk a little bit about, and really from the lens of what um, sort of thinking or what theories of change did you have around Reaply that you feel like are transferable to long jump. So, you know, mm. circularity is really complicated. <laughs> um, the solutions that you're working on are, are extremely elegant. Uh, mm -hmm. How do you think about, or how does that thinking rather transfer to long jump? Are they sort of two separate left brain, right brain uh, experiences that you're having? No, it's such a great question. They're not separate. And I don't think anyone's ever asked me that, um, but uh, thank you for the question. They're not separate. And, and one of the, there's probably like eight ways that they are, but the one that stays in my mind the, uh, the most is around um, racial inclusive, inclusivity. So, you know, I've been writing and talking a lot about how the circular economy broadens the economy, lets more people in that were left behind in the linear, so-called linear economy, the one that we currently operate in. And those would be communities of color. Those would be communities of social economic disadvantage, right? Where the where the landfills, they're, they're not here in Bucktown, Chicago, where I currently am or on the north side. I can tell you exactly where they are. So if we can make the world more circular, reduce the need to use landfills, reduce just net waste, we and use that new economy uh, to, to bring in new service workers and new business creators and new founders who could take this material and repair it, do things with it, sell us off, we actually reduce waste, reduce uh, uh, these communities, but also in, in these communities, but also provide an economic um, empowerment incentive. I think the same thing about Long Jump. I think about Long Jump helping founders from communities or and or with ideas to serve communities that have been left behind from the current operating model of, of venture-backed startups. And so um, they are one and the same. That's another reason why I felt very strongly about the work that I'm doing, not um, intersecting with the work that Long Jump could do when, when I signed up. 
I was gonna see if Ryan have a follow up. <laughs> uh, I was I was just meditating on that. That's uh... <laughs> at Inclusive. We actually our three focus is really in financial inclusion, future of work, and then it's climate tech. Because mm-hmm. actually, I do have a background in sustainability management as an engineer as well. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, I do want to know um, a bit more on. 10 years from now, like mm-hmm. long term, it's like IPO, like how, mm-hmm. how do you think it's going to happen? Hmm. So briefly, yeah, so if briefly really IPO, that would be fantastic. It, it sounds like I would be busy. <laughs> um, so, so in 10 years, that means uh, my EA would be even busier. Uh, but no, um, so I think you, I think your question is like maybe what is maybe what obstacles do you have to remove? Mm. Well, so one thing we definitely have to do is we got to figure out how to make. You know, I literally wrote it on my big board this morning. How do we make what we're doing for customers and users as as easy as throwing something away in the trash? I've always said from the very beginning when we started this company, we compete with the trash. Right. We could, we literally it's so easy just to drop something there, though. We're building technology. We think I have, we have to think about what's the solution that technology enables to make that process as straightforward for users and customers. So one thing that's a big obstacle that we have to figure out. No one's figured that out. And I'm glad to be in the fight to figure that out with some some awesome, smart, smart folks at Reefly. I think the other thing that we got to figure out is um, the whole industry has to figure out is reporting. Right, so when we go and say, "Hey, this is how much money you say, this is how much weight you divert, this is how much embodied carbon that you're reducing your need for," we want to make sure that's right. And those calculators are kind of wonky; those metrics are kind of hand wavy right now in the market. And so, we're happy to be working with Microsoft to figure that out and some other um, leaders. And I think we just need to execute. Right, I actually don't think our business requires like some massive like new ml ai type thing that you hear bitcoin type thing although digital coin is something that we're exploring um but i think it's just like us executing i think it's just the market deciding that we're going to prioritize access over ownership we're going to prioritize use over consumption um that has to be the case in order for circular to happen and we're just trying to build a technology infrastructure to do so but if people don't want to do that, then we got to, you know, we, we just got to, we got to ride that way. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty encouraged. I think after 10 years, I think this your question, Kelly, it's like, what's the next or what's the so what or, 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 you know, whatever. And for me, there's a couple of things I'm aware of, right? So there are very few uh, men or women, Black tech founders that even raise the you know, let's say even a hundred million dollars to get into a, a billion dollar company. I, I could count those people on my right right hand. So one, it's to recognize the accomplishment for the ecosystem, but for the young Gary, who might be 16, who might be thinking about starting a company. To me, they, I would love to be recognized so that other Gary's understand that they can start companies and they can figure it out. And um, if I can do it, they can. I think beyond that, I definitely want to keep, you know, digging my heels into sustainability. Um, I think in my mind, there's no bigger problem 
for smart people to be working on than to figure out how do we survive and keep our livelihoods the way they're kindly kind of are right now on this planet for our grandchildren and their, and their grandchildren. I'd probably stick around in sustainability. And of course, I still care about diversity in all workplaces, whether it be in BC, whether it be in tech, whether it be in government, whether they be in private enterprise. And so I probably would be writing, thinking, talking, shouting about things that could be be changed there. Those are some of the things 10 years from now, if briefly were to exit, um, that I would uh, probably, probably be doing. What are some of your suggestions for uh, founders, uh, people of colors or women looking for funding? What, what do you suggest? And then also emerging fund managers, like what do mm-hmm. you suggest that they would do? My suggestion would one be, so there are some resources that have now come through. Uh, maybe they were in works before George Floyd, but I'm now more aware of them. Um, so, you know, I, I'm a Techstars guy. So Techstars literally has a whole microsite that I had a very small and in um, putting together. Techstars has done a really great job focusing on their the Black founders in their, in their portfolio to kind of like figure out what resources are super helpful for founders. So I would I would run to places like Techstars um, um, for just like overall uh, information. The other place I would go, and it's probably super straightforward, but in some ways it can be hard, is to talk to founders like me, talk to founders of color who've raised, right? So those people are going to know exactly the journey, the people who you could talk to, the people maybe you shouldn't talk to, and everything in between. The issue is there's so few of us, and we are also running companies, that it's hard to get on our calendars to find time. So what I always thought fell under, obviously I have an open office hour, uh, two office hours because of my job at Long Jump. But beyond that, if you send me an email, I, I will definitely respond. Just make the email have some of the questions that you have. And sometimes, at least for me, if you ask me two or three questions and I go, oh, these are just, let me just talk to this person for 10 minutes. I literally, if they have their their, call, their cell phone in there in their signature, I'll just call their cell phone oh. um, and just quickly give them the information. So sometimes like, can can we talk for 35 or 40 minutes? It's super hard on the founder who's trying to figure out their company, who's trying to figure out their own fundraise, right? So that would be my advice. It's just like, put your ask in the email, make it clear, put your cell phone number, you never know what happens. Um, on the on the second part about uh, fund man, uh, emerging fund managers. So we, we went about this slightly different way. We, we started to raise, again, from some known VCs and angel investors just to get our GP docs together. But after that, we really focused in on kind of quote unquote smaller checks from founders and operators. And we used the network effect of say, hey, if this is not for you or if you're investing either way, can you send this to two people who you think might be interested in our mission, right? And so that ended up helping us tremendously actually um so i would say one bit of advice like overarching obviously the details matter for each emerging fund but to look at quote non-traditional investors or new lps who might be the vp of something or other at some company but has never made an investment but might might right and so i think that um 
a lot of times people are raising from from LPs that are very used to or their full-time job is, is, is investing in other funds. Our strategy was not to do that. Our strategy was to look at you know, leaders in the business world and the academic world and also in the tech ecosystem world who are interested in a more inclusive and a more um, diverse set of founders to be invested in, in Chicago and to seek them out even if they had never invested in anything before. In fact, a majority of the people who are, who are LPs, um, I think we have over 180 LPs in, in Long Jump, a majority of them, this is their first investment. So we're super excited actually about not only just a new generation of founders getting backed by Long Jump, but also a new generation of investors. So I would say expand the, the scope of your target LP, but obviously the details there depend on um, your GP structure and stuff. 180, isn't that a nightmare to manage? <laughs> we, have, we, we have a great fund manager. <laughs> and so for the record, I won't say it's a nightmare. <laughs> we love our, okay. our, our <laughs> It's a pleasure, actually. Gary, I'm, I'm curious, like, you know, you, you've had this entire career in academia and in consulting and now, you know, in business and in investing. Mm-hmm. For someone who's starting off in their career or, you know, how do you choose, like, what's the best way to learn from the best people? There's a couple of things. So one of them is I uh, follow great people that I'm a fanboy of that are, that are, they could tell me no and yes, um, very straightforwardly. I call them like my personal board, right? So we have a board of directors at Reefly. Um, they have a fiduciary responsibility to the company, but I have a quote personal board, you know, some active CEOs, community leaders, you know, about five or six people that basically have done what I'm trying to do in any vector that I go in, whether it's my scientific career, whether some of the things I'm interested in, like public policy, whether it's investment, whether it's being trying to be the best CEO I can be, learning from other great CEOs, um, sustainability world, you know, I have no exact formal training in sustainability. So, so, so I have kind of, you know, people who I go to when I am at a crossroads. Um, and I think that's important for young professionals to start forming. Who are people who you trust, right? Like you gotta, you gotta form relationships with those people and you have to make them inclusive in your own journey. I update them frequently, probably too much. I text them all the time. You know, these people are running like big, big things and I'm just like, hi, it's me again. Um, so, uh, so, so, that's, so that's one portion of it. But the way that I think about what do I do next or what's, um, what's on the outlook? I mean, I mean kind of Kelly asked that question in, in a way from a 10 year period is I really think of what is the highest union between what I have the ability to do, what I have, what, what, what can I learn, and what impact will I have? So I'm always looking for that, the biggest cross section of those three questions. I went from doing cancer research um, an undergrad to thinking about how to solve Parkinson's disease. Th- there's really no link between that I'm aware of between reproductive cancer um, in women and Parkinson's disease. But I, I went because I was super interested. 
I wanted to learn more about the brain selfishly because I thought that was a really interesting space. And third, I wanted to have more impact. And I thought, oh, if I could get to like making a therapeutic, that'd be interesting. When I went from consulting, went into consulting from my former research career, same value prop. I wanted to learn more about the business world. I was super interested in how a scientist could affect decision-making in, in an enterprise. And so, so, and then the same thing for my leap from that to, to replay. So I always just think about what are the, what is your whys, right, um, in life? And then just make that the framework by which you, you make career shifting, um, potentially decisions. And then sometimes I can either get information on the front end or the back end from this kind of personal board that, that at least I formed, um, that it also includes like, you know, people like my grandmother and mother as well. So. Yeah. I want to know, um, how can we best help you in whatever it is that you're doing or anyone that came across this Mm -hmm. podcast? Like, well, one, I want to, um, uh, say that you can help me by one, just, crushing your fun I, I love what you all are trying to do and so like I think of it as system change and then when you need system change that means you need good people all throughout the system doing their thing to affect the change and so one thing for me would just to be continue to be awesome and and continue to push the initiative forward I, I think that would be my number one number two is if you run across amazing founders whether they, no matter where they come from, what community they come from or what they're doing in Chicago, I'd love for you to, to send me a note about them. We would love to learn about their company, especially if it's an early, super early stage company. Um, and then four, or four, I'm already thinking of two other. And then three, um, uh, you know, you know, I always tell you my mother, because I get this question, like, how can I help briefly, you know? And I always say, mom, just like our social media posts, let the algorithms take over. Um, so yeah, so you know, just upvote, up, 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 star, like whatever the different where things. Is it? The like, what are those? Are. What are those things? Like, is it yes. on Twitter, Instagram, or where? Yes. So we are on all the platforms except for TikTok, I think. But we might be getting a TikTok account soon. So we're at, we are Reaply, or at Reaply Inc. Inc on all the social media platforms you can think of. So that we are mostly on um, Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn. I write a monthly newsletter on LinkedIn that has about 41,000 subscribers, which we're super proud of, called The Sustainable Business, uh, where we basically just kind of tackle like big, hairy issues to make the business, the business world more sustainable. And we just write about it and then just open it up for people to have comments um, in our comment section. And then we've recently launched a clubhouse where basically after we publish these monthly newsletters, we'll have a clubhouse event where people can come and chat more about that or if they if they agree with it, they disagreed or what problems they're having in that, in that uh, sector of their business. Awesome, I just followed you on. Yay! You're moving our numbers. <laughs> yeah, I'll find you on Instagram and all that. So thanks Great. for your time. You too, you right. too. Good seeing you. Nice meeting you, Ryan. All right, bye-bye. You too. Bye.